Welcome to the Werewolf Den, where we delve into gaming concepts behind White Wolf's Werewolf the Apocalypse. I'm Amelin. And I'm Ryan. Welcome back! So, we are now moving on to keeping with that esoteric track that we started with the Red Talons. We're going to move into the Silent Striders. Mm -hmm. And this is somewhat of a minefield, because with... Previous heritage tribes, we've been talking about groups that aren't disenfranchised in the modern day. So, you know, with the Fianna, you have the Irish. With the Geta Fenris, you have Nordic. These peoples do not face systemic oppressions, you know, in the United States. With the Silent Striders, however, we're encountering our first heritage group that is dealing with systemic issues. And so our Typical approach of, like, divorce your tribes from the heritage, this is something where, obviously, we have to be much more cautious about and sensitive to. One of the cool things about White Wolf, especially with Werewolf the Apocalypse, is that a lot of different cultures are highlighted within this system that oftentimes don't get highlighted at all. So Native Americans are a great example. With Werewolf, they're very highly focused on. In other games, you just don't bump into them. When I listen to interviews, he, listening to the creators, and they talk about how they were specifically trying to highlight these things, I believe them. Because when you read into the various other species, I guess, of monsters within the World of Darkness systems, you have different cultures and things like that, but they're very much expansion book stuff, more or less. Mm -hmm. Whereas the different cultures are very key in Werewolf. Right. So, with Silent Striders, they are given the heritage of being Egyptian. And this is sort of our first mine in the field that we have to cross. And this is not exclusive to Werewolf. Vampire the Masquerade is another perfect example of this. But how Egyptian culture gets included into sort of the base book panoply. But if you're looking for African culture, well, that's an expansion book. And this is the first thing that we have to sort of unpack is that Egyptian history and culture has all too often been divorced from being African history and African culture and will instead be, you know, classical history or ancient history or Mediterranean history when it's clearly a part of Africa. And there's serious racial issues that go behind this. Racism is a huge part of it. And so first off, just sort of being aware that this is the case, that Egyptian culture is something that's considered base book, and African culture is something that gets its own, you know, side supplement text. And so when we're considering breaking from that aspect of cultural heritage now, here is our first instance where that cultural group is disenfranchised in today's society. And so we want to be as respectful as possible about that. Sad fact of the matter is, though, we can't necessarily say the same thing about White Wolf because we do go back and reread the tribe books or at the very least skim through them to gain and uh, to kind of reacquaint ourselves before we do this episode. When we went back and reread the other tribe books and we came across the heritage parts with per se the Piano or the Geta Fenris, they were very apt of embracing the heritage aspect. With the Silent Strider book within the first paragraph of the first chapter they 
they break that. They they say that anyone can be a silent strider and there's some really racist stuff that goes in that. There are racist slurs thrown out. Yeah, it's it's bad. And I don't want to talk about that any further. But it is a thing that needs to be at least acknowledged. Yes. And I think in acknowledging that there's a lot that the tribe picks up from White Wolf's Egyptian interpretation that is bad and that we would like to see polished. And I think a perfect thing to go back to is what Amelin had mentioned in the last episode with Red Talons. There is a contingent of the Red Talons that are descended from African wild dogs, distinct from wolves, but they're still part of the Garu Nation. They still have their own thing. And I think that's the perfect thing to strive for in this regard. And like we've said with a lot of the other tribes, there is absolutely a place for their own African contingents to be considered within the tribe as a whole. So the Geta Fenris can have Zulu members. Fiana can have their griot tradition, the oral tradition that is so prominent throughout the dialectics of Africa. Uh, I mean, all of these tribes that have socioeconomic issues, the Black Furies, the Bone Nars, all of them have a place to play within the African diaspora. And so we want to preserve a place for black culture within the Silent Striders, but as White Wolf has interpreted it, they just pick up a lot of bad stuff. And so we want to try and clean that up, highlight what's good, and as with every single one of our tribe episodes, sort of highlight the best ways to sort of think of and conceive of this tribe to break it out of its, you know, tiny little box it's been crammed into. So for 5th edition, one of the things that I would like to see is for Egyptian cultural influence to be preserved in things such as the names of gifts, in the tribal spirits that the tribe is affiliated with, things of that sort. But I think it'd be really, really cool if they could get an Egyptologist, especially a, a black Egyptologist, to help them along with this. And the same could be said for all of the disenfranchised cultural and ethnic groups that are highlighted within Werewolf. It's great that they're being represented, but let's get it as authentic as possible. And so I think that's a great place to sort of work with that. And we'll talk about more of those facets once we get into the nitty gritty, into the weeds. One of the things I would like to see gone is this idea that the Silent Striders are a tribe without home. And so for this, we're going to have to go into a little bit of the meta backstory of the tribe, particularly in regards to the other Egyptian group within Vampire the Masquerade, the followers of Set. So... One of the big things when it comes to dealing with the Silent Striders, that is also another big minefield, is Werewolf in it of itself is kind of under Vampire the Masquerade's shadow in a lot of ways. Mostly just simply because Vampire the Masquerade came first and it's the most popular game. And that's completely understandable. It's going to happen. You can definitely kind of tell where the writers are kind of going in and you can still kind of tell that they're in a little bit of vampire mode every so often when you see them writing. But the Silent Striders are really kind of hurt by this because while other tribes more or less can have their interactions with the various other more or less monstrous species of the World of Darkness, you got the Silver Fangs that have interactions with the Baba Yaga and various things like that, the Silent Striders are defined by their interactions with a vampire. And that's not cool. That kind of takes away from the tribe in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. 
So one of the keystones of the tribe's history, as White Wolf writes it, is their interactions with the followers of Set, who are their own problematic Egyptian cultural group within VTM. But essentially, they were both from Egypt, right? So they started feuding, and the Silent Striders are defeated in this. And so the followers of Set cast a curse upon them, which does a whole slew of different things, and it banishes them from Egypt. So they're essentially homeless, right? They're roaming around, spreading around throughout the nation. And you can tell very much that what White Wolf was really just kind of going for was they were really more or less just trying to recreate the Ravenous in werewolf form with this idea. At least that's kind of how it always came across to me. Oh, we really like this notion of the drifter traveler stereotype. Uh, we did it in vampire to varying degrees of success and popularity. Let's try it with the werewolves. Oh, here's an entire tribe that's based off of this notion. And I get where they're going with this. There is cool story potential with the idea of not having territory. To being a person, a wolf, or just a pack, a family that doesn't have a home to go home to. And we'll definitely talk later on on good ways to interpret that. But having this brought on by a curse from the vampires as opposed to something that they have philosophically come to in and of themselves takes away from the notion of the tribe more or less having a philosophical backbone then. Mm -hmm. And prior to this curse, sort of like the Silent Striders are just this amorphous blob. They have no function, no niche. But then this happens, and then suddenly they're messengers for the nation, because they don't have a home, and so they're always wandering from sept to sept. And it just sort of raises the question of why was this even a tribe to begin with, if they didn't have any ideology or ethos until some vampires put a spell on them. Especially when you consider the fact that while we talked before about how the Impergium was a very nebulous kind of prehistory area. Egypt is not prehistory. Mm -hmm. There are a great deal of scholars out there with an extensive knowledge about the history of Egypt. And there is a huge span of time between what could easily be considered the Impergium and what is then considered the height of Egypt. Mm -hmm. So when you have this much of a time discrepancy between the two and you have the Red Talon saying, well, all the other tribes existed. We were supposedly the last ones to kind of come to being with the formation of and the downfall of the Impergium. What does that mean then the Silent Striders were even doing? Are Were they wanderers before they got cursed? And the books are never really clear about this. Mm -hmm. So our big focus is to look at what the Silent Striders have outside of the entire followers of Set interaction. And to try and basically come up with a headcanon, or I should say explain our headcanon, of what this tribe is, what it stands for, what it's good at, things of that sort. And I think the first place, the best place to start is with their tribal totem, Owl. So, Owl is really cool. Extremely cool. Owl is more or less this comforting facilitator of 
death, as far as they are explained within the White Wolf system. And this is a really, really cool function to consider for somebody that's fighting to preserve life in Gaia. Mm-hmm. There is this spirit that is all about the concept of bringing unto the world natural comforting death. And when you consider the fact that there is a war going on, this feels like a much more natural niche to then start filling with silent striders as opposed to just we're wanderers. Mm -hmm. And another thing I'd like to throw in there is it can also be a portent of uncomforting death. And a lot of societies and cultures have viewed owls as being these portents of ill omen, that something is something bad is going to happen. But the totem of owl uses this as kind of a, uh, what would be the way to say it? To break the shock to your system, right? Instead of a loved one dying suddenly and unexpectedly, owl is going to let you know this is happening. And so you have a chance to to go through the stages of grief, to get in those last moments with that loved one, to sort of... Say your goodbyes. Yeah, to gird yourself for that incoming blow. And so, yeah, Owl has all these different dimensions. There's an element of self-care to it. There, there's kind of a goth aesthetic of, like Amelin said, comforting death. There's a lot of cool ways to interpret this. And again, it's a very common association that Owl has in this regard throughout many different cultures well outside of just exclusively Egypt, right? And with this association with death and loss and grief comes another attachment that the tribe has to the Dark Umbra, or what sort of the White Wolf metaverse refers to as the the realm of the dead, of Wraith the Oblivion and ghosts and spirits and specters and all of that. That this is an area that they, more than any other tribe, can relate to and associate with. And first off, it is a part of the Umbra, and I will discuss this in greater detail when we eventually do an Umbra episode, but it's something that werewolves are not incapable of interacting with normally. It's it's just difficult. It's not an easy thing to get to. But the Silent Striders have gifts and rituals and abilities that help them to interact with this realm beyond the capacity of any other tribe. And there is a whole lot that can be done in this regard. With all of the worms' machinations, with all of the people who die in horrible ways from horrible things, if they're held to this world by something, then they're a ghost or a wraith or a specter or whatever term you want to use for it. And the silent striders are the ones that can interact with this. They have all sorts of gifts. For being able to see and hear and understand the wandering dead. And this in and of itself creates so many good story potentials. I love the notion of werewolves being this strangely comforting force. If you look into Scottish folklore, that's actually what a lot of old Scottish folklore are. Werewolves are not these big scary monsters they're these creatures that will come in and like leave you pies and fish on your windowsill to help you uh, to wish you well and it has this really cool idea that you can then start breaking into you can start looking into things like the kushid of celtic mythology where these 
big black dogs that kind of usher you to the land of the dead sort of deal. This could very easily be ter interpreted as a silent striker coming in to usher you in, like, your sickness or something like that. There's so many cool different things that you can do with those gifts, and it's super goth, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And it gives them this cool avenging aspect that no other tribe can really lay claim to. If Pentax decimates this community and, you know, people die from, from toxic poisoning or whatever, then the Silent Striders are the ones that can actually talk to these people and hear their stories and avenge them. And then once you've gone and you've, you know, attacked Pentax and you've told stories at Moot, you can go to the victims themselves and be like, We've done this to try and help you. There's so much cool story and potential in that regard. And we think that needs to get upplayed big time with the tribe because it's it's so cool. So mm -hmm. very cool. But then moving on from that, it also has the potential to really start also digging into this notion of what is the philosophy then of the tribe? Because with many of the book's descriptions, they kind of tease at this idea but in my opinion they never it's almost kind of like that whole ship passing in the night they see it but they never quite reach to grab it sort of deal mm -hmm. and that is the notion of dealing with the reincarnation cycle and this is where we can now start moving away from that follower of set curse mm -hmm. which within the meta plot the followers of set curse them and prevent them from engaging in the reincarnation cycle. Normally, a Garu dies, they become an ancestor spirit, and they still linger around, and their soul, in essence, goes on to a new Garu, and that Garu can take the ancestor's background, which allows them to tap into their previous lives and things of that sort. Silent Striders don't follow that protocol. They cannot access ancestor spirits. They cannot remember any ancestor spirits. And the book engages this as... Oh, it's because of the follower of set curse. And if you want to go with that route, if you actually like that route, more power to you. I Although, feel like a better route, though, have it be that the Silent Striders, when they join the tribe, actively choose to disengage from the reincarnation cycle. Because this plays into what actually caused the worm's corruption in a weird, strange sense. The worm is this entity that is supposed to provide death and decay, but in the metaplot, it said that it has been stopped from doing that, and it's thrashing now to desperately try to do it again, to desperately try to fulfill its role, and has been driven mad. So I can definitely see an angle where the silent striders can come in and be like we remember what the worm's true purpose was and it is our duty to uphold and honor that original true purpose that death comes and it is final and so as part of their philosophy they remove themselves from the reincarnation cycle because inevitably it could be argued that it's not natural. And it makes way more sense than the idea of some cub going through their rite of passage, having an affinity for Owl. Owl chooses them, but then Owl says, oh, some vampires 5,000 years ago cursed me, and so now you're cursed as well. You're welcome. Jeez, Owl's a dick. Like, 
Ugh, just get rid of the whole follower of set thing. What Amelin said makes so much more sense and gives this unique drive to the tribe as well. We also think there's some room to play with this lack of territory concept. We don't want it to be a sense of it was taken from you because there are other tribes such as younger and older brother who deal with that very viscerally. And so to avoid any overlap in that sense, we think the idea of sort of in just the same way that you've eschewed the reincarnation cycle, you're also eschewing territory because it's an unnecessary attachment. And again, Owl's big focus is that Owl is going to warn you in the event of a great loss that will cause you emotional harm. Having territory is something that can be stripped away from you. And so is it really a necessary attachment? Things like pack, tribe, sept attachments, spirituality, these things are necessary attachments that a Garu needs. But territory isn't necessarily something you have to have. And so giving it up in, in this philosophical and spiritual venture makes a lot of sense for the tribe. And again, adds to their culture, adds to their identity. And it plays with this whole notion of the world, your time being finite and wanting to drive away from things that just will not last for you trying to find what is truly meaningful. So having this kind of anti-material aspect to it plays with the death angle very well, and it allows you to preserve the wanderer angle for the silent striders, but making it their own thing. Mm -hmm. Not some curse that is inflicted upon them, but a philosophy that they openly embrace sounds so much more interesting and so much cooler to play than just, oh, well, I'm cursed. I, okay, um, cool. Is there anything I can do in-game about the curse? Most STs aren't going to touch that. I can guarantee you I'm not going to, probably, mm -hmm. in any of my stories. So it basically expands the, potent the storytelling potential for the Silent Strider then by giving them back agency. Mm -hmm. It empowers them. Yeah. Uh, one of the last things we want to touch on about the tribe is this concept of the messenger role. And the tribe has definitely been affiliated with this within the texts themselves. That they're a tribe that is, again, because they don't have a home, they're constantly on the move, moving from sept to sept, spreading news and information. And within an oral society, this makes a lot of sense. And I like the idea that this is something that they did in the past. That Owl would gift them with visions of things that are to come, and they would go across the Garu Nation to spread this information, to spread these tales, forewarnings, things of that sort. And a lot of their gifts facilitate this. The most popular one is Speed of Thought, where they just run faster than anyone else. Because... You know, if you're moving on foot to spread information, that can help. In the 21st century, what is the point of this tribe as a messenger? It just doesn't make sense. You can hop in a car and you'll be a better messenger. You can access a phone or shoot an email or summon a spirit and ask it to send the message. And you're doing a better job as a messenger. It's a cool niche thing that I think the tribe would have had in the way, way long ago. But I think it's a really silly thing for them to hang their hat on as their identity. 
This association with Owl, this concept of death and working with the restless dead, this is a way better thing to hang their hat on than the messenger role. And I know we mentioned it last time, I think, your disdain for the Korax. Yep. Where does that fit in as well? So, I mentioned that I have disdain for the Korax in the last time. I did not quite explain why specifically I have disdain for the Korax. So... In Gaia's great wise plan, she decided that I'm going to take these wolves and I'm going to turn them into my warriors. Great. Cool. Makes sense. Why aren't all of these other animals your warriors as well where wolves aren't? Is always kind of my first question to go with. But moving past that then, they didn't go with that angle. Instead, they were like, oh, we're going to bring the fair in, and they're all going to have their own unique roles, which sounds cool at first, until you realize what got picked for a couple of them. And the Korax got the messengers. They're silent striders, but with wings. Yeah, they're better. And there's this weird, like, chicken and the egg thing that comes with that. Like, what came first? Did Gaia make the werewolves and then the silent striders are like we'll be messengers and then Gaia's like how about these birds they could do it better they have wings they can totally do it better and then that again goes back to the whole problem that we brought up early on in the episode of what is the point then of the silent striders and so this is definitely a thing where I feel like this kind of facilitates this notion where birds Bird shifters are not an inherent bad idea in and of themselves. The Korax are terrible. Yeah. They're they're very memish too. Mm-hmm. Shinies. But anyway, silent striders, right? Give them their niche. And so having this messenger angle, eh, there's some flavor to it, but don't overemphasize it like the books do. Mm-hmm. Really problematic. The other thing that's problematic about this messenger role is that it incentivizes sort of this lone wolf concept. And that is another big issue that I have with the tribe. It's kind of my biggest issue with really any type of game. I do not like it when games encourage a lone wolf concept. Because you're meant to play with other people. Mm -hmm. You're meant to interact with other people. It's fine. It's great to play introverted, introspective characters, but the game should not be encouraging, and I feel like the game kind of does with Silent Striders, the notion of playing temporary characters. And that's very much kind of how the Silent Striders very frequently feel. That's why they don't get played nearly as often as you would think a tribe that also has talking with the dead. Yeah. (laughs) as an ability the silent striders are very frequently kind of brought up as and this is also again another dumb thing that ties back to the curse by the followers of set that again is dumb and needs to go away and that's this notion that the silent striders they they're loners they can't maintain and keep families and they have a hard time keeping pack and why are they in your game then Mm -hmm. in a Uh, pack-based game In any game, really, tabletop RPGs, like, at fair minimum, you have two players. You have one other person other than your storyteller you are interacting with. So why do you have a character that openly eschews to not 
play with other characters. Mm-hmm. And this definitely needs to be something that kind of needs to be challenged with the tribe. And I feel like this is something that is best challenged by going back again with that anti-materialism aspect, as opposed to a quote-unquote lone wolf aspect. What attachments do matter? What relationships do matter? Pack matters. Mm -hmm. Family matters. So taking that family, corralling it together around you, and even if you are not established in a territory, moving them with you. This works. If you're just playing a lone wolf for the sake of playing a lone wolf, okay, bye. I hope you enjoy your one session in my game. It relegates the Silent Striders to be NPCs, and I don't like this. Mm -hmm. So to sort of, I guess, summarize what we've just said, right? Because we've unpacked a lot of stuff we've swept a lot of stuff out of the house and we're we're trying to polish up what's left right yes this is a tribe that has its roots within ancient egypt and draws its culture from that but it is not tied to the land just like the black furies have their roots within greece and draw a lot of their gift names and things of that sort from greek culture let the silent striders do the same with egypt but don't relegate them as the egyptian tribe right Get rid of the whole curse thing. Empower them to have created their own identity, right? Play up the owl relationship that they are these functional pessimists that are warning and girding people for loss, helping them with grief, things of that sort. Empower them to be the garu par excellence of the dead. These are the ones who interact with the restless dead, who carry on the Garu fight in the Dark Umbra. They're the Avengers of the Dead. They're they're information gatherers. You know, that's their thing. Make that the thing they put their hat on. Make them harbingers or, like, open advocates for what the worm needs to return to being. Yes, give them that philosophical angle, right? And like I said, when you approach the Silent Striders from these angles, they are really cool. So cool. Like, they, they just sound better than what the book paints them as. Mm-hmm. Just objectively better. And it is just one of those things where I, I do kind of feel like this is the tribe that is just most hurt by the looming shadow that is Vampire. Mm-hmm. And Vampire is great. I loved playing Vampire. But Vampire does not do this tribe any favors. It needs to be addressed yeah okay so with that we did a lot of complaining (laughs) it feels like (laughs) with this video that it needed to be done but we hope we really hope that we gave you some really good ideas for what you can do with the silent striders that makes them grander than what I feel like even White Wolf was trying to make them. Because White Mm -hmm. Wolf, they left those bits and pieces, they left those kernels in there that you can definitely play with. But like I said, it's kind of that whole, like, that ship passing the night, I guess, sort of deal. Where it's like, we have these wonderful ideas, we just don't know how to make them perhaps work together. And hopefully this is definitely going to be a tribe where they'll get a sensitivity reader on Mm -hmm. for W5. And worse comes to worse, they don't address the concerns that you have. Headcanon that shit. Yep. Do what we do. 
if you like what we have presented to you as a better alternative for being a silent strider, embrace that because it is fully capable within the rule system. And if somebody tells you otherwise, throw that golden rule that is in the very front of the book at them and say, my enjoyment comes before what the writers put down as lore and the writers understand this. Mm -hmm. We do not do this to attack the writers. This is just something where we feel like they could have done better, but they had some really good ideas. Mm -hmm. So with that, hopefully you enjoyed our episode. And next time we'll be talking. Who's next in the S's? We have the, I think it's Silver Fangs. Yep. No, Shadow Lords. H before I. Oh, this is true. Oh, yeah, there's so many S tribes. This is where <laughs> it just, it all blends together. So, yeah, uh, unless we go back and, you know, do our ABCs, I think next time is Shadow Lords. Yeah, and this is... Oh, Shadow Lords should have come before this then. Oh, well. <laughs> the Silent Striders deserve their time. This is their time. So they'll get to go before the Shadow Lords, and the Shadow Lords will be very bitter about it. So... <laughs> Uh, say la vie. Does not matter. We don't know our alphabet, apparently. <laughs> like I said, there's so many S tribes. It's just, ugh. <laughs> four? There's four? I think four. Uh, Silver Fang, Silent Strider, Stargazer, Shadow Lord. Mm-hmm. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. So, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll stop rambling at you now and let you get back <laughs> to your day. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time when we restore Sesame Street's values by adhering to the alphabet. <laughs> Bye. Bye.